Okay. And we're back. Oh, my uh, God. This is episode 01. <laughs> That's right. Episode 01. Like, unit 01, which maybe you just saw. If just like us, like, we literally just turned off. We sat down and watched the episode, yeah. turned it off, and hit record. So, yeah, so this is fresh. I mean, we've both fresh. seen this episode probably more than any other ones. And, and I kind of, for like in some sense, briefly want to like kind of talk about it. Well, let's talk about what this is. This is episode zero one one of the mm-hmm. show as well, and it's Angel Attack, and this is uh, written by Ono. This is from, I think, October 1995. Um, I can't remember. I think it's October 4th, 1995 was the original wow. air date of this. Um, and this was, you know, general, uh, general series director, we said in the last episode, is Hideaki Ono. But... Um, the other director uh, is this guy, Kazuya Tsuramaki, who you probably know if you watch anime mm-hmm. at all. He's he's the guy who's the general director of Fooly Cooly. And yep. he directs the first half, the more action-packt half of uh, End of Evangelion, which mm-hmm. is the, the movie many conclusion. other key episodes, I believe, as well. Probably a lot, yeah. He's sort of... I, I've heard him sort of described as Ono's protege, but he, but he he's an incredible director. He did this movie called The Dragon Dentist that I watched I that recently. That is super cool, and if you like Evangelion, I think you'll you'll like a lot of the visuals. But I just want to give props to that guy because uh, he's also a big part of the rebuild movies as well. But he's he's a dynamite anime director for sure. Um, yeah, and I think this is a. I mean, it's a really. I kind of wanted to, to, to talk about it in some ways as just like thinking of it as a pilot. Now, again, I, I, as I said on the previous episode, referencing the way that the Japanese development process, we don't know a lot of that stuff. But in terms of like pretending like this is an, a normal like, uh, you know, TV show that you would see and thinking of this as though it were a pilot episode, it's a really cool pilot and it's amazing how quickly they jump into it. I mean, these are, <laughs> these are half hour episodes. Disorientingly quick, it, some might say. Which but. is like, I mean, half hour in, in in the US is typically thought of as the realm of like sitcoms and, and things. And some of right. that's changing with, with, with the, the different types of shows we have now. But you would never do a show like this as a half hour in, if this was like a, a Netflix show, live action done here, right. this would be an hour long. And so they might even do the pilot as like an hour and a half long thing to sort of key it up. Because we basically... I mean, the, like the second shot of the thing has the angel in it, like f- swimming underwater mm-hmm. and the thing. So like right away, we're like, you know, fuck the Jaws rule. We're going to show you the monster like <laughs> right from the get go. And we meet uh, Shinji Ikari, the main character of the show, like, you know, really quickly without any context to his life. Like, you know, the Harry Potter version of this would be to see him at school. Right. Know that he doesn't have a good relationship with his dad, get a letter, do the whole thing. You'd spend the whole first thing of just him, try, you know, like you would do so much to set him up. And instead here, we we're, we're like thrown into it. Like before well, not, we, e- not even know. just Shinji, uh, but the whole world, because what we find out, I think we see right away that, that takes place in 2015, yeah. which if we're saying that this, you know, aired in 1995, then you know the not too distant future but the world is very different than it would look in 1995 and, and mm-hmm. we get that and so it's not spoilers to sort of tell you about the state of the world that clearly this is post some sort of huge disaster mm-hmm. um i don't do they go into any detail about any of that they just don't yet? say anything i mean but you see you see this very high-tech military apparatus dealing with this this big monster thing wandering around the city mm-hmm. and so right away you know that this is not an unexpected thing this isn't the first time this has happened none of them seem particularly freaked well, out by this that, fucking that's, thing that's interesting and and i know i said yes uh, on the last episode that um I wasn't gonna nitpick anything. I the what the one thing in this one is I love that it gets right into the action. It is I think disorienting for a lot of people that that we don't take the time because we're gonna you know this is and and, and some of this stuff it becomes tricky to to the no spoiler rule just because to just understand context of even what's happening what you're looking at is we're we're going to sort of learn mm-hmm. more about the angels and their preparedness for it but but it's always sort of bothered me how this is the first angel we're seeing this is the first angel that's been around in a long time we'll we'll this is 
15 there hasn't been an angel around for 15 years yeah uh, and and so it kind of bothers me how how prepared everybody seems for this there's reasons for that and i guess we can sort of start talking a little bit the problem with this show is that a lot of the mythology is stuff that is sort of off screen yeah or that you sort of have to infer from just little references there's there's not really that m night Shyamalan moment of like oh that's what that meant or here's the twist and here's how that works you sort of by the end of the thing, you kind of look at everybody and it's like, wait, so this was that, right? Is that what it is? Oh, yeah, that was that thing. You know, and you yeah, and, and we'll, we'll definitely have to break the spoiler rule in parts and we'll just give you guys heads up when we're definitively going to do that because part of what the fun of this will be is breaking down some of the theories and stuff surrounding it because it is fairly opaque. I mean, I don't think, I think if, if anybody watching this, and I'm willing to bet, I, like, in fact, I'm going to check Twitter when this drops because <laughs> I bet if you search on Twitter, there are going to be people who start with episode one and think that they fucked up and started on like, this oh, feels sure, like episode sure. three, basically. Yeah. Like, like in, in terms of what we traditionally would think of as the narrative. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not criticizing because I think it's actually really cool yes. that in 22 minutes. No, and I, don't, I don't mean to criticize. I just, I remember when I watched this and then even now I'm sort of like, I get iffy on the timeline. I was like, so wait a minute, like who knows what and what exactly are they, they you know, they planning? Well, and they, um, they introduce you to a bunch of characters, some of whom's names you get, some of them, like, you know, these, these like, three military guys that are running the operation at the beginning don't ever get names. We never know who they are. They're not important at all. But you, the camera spends a lot of time, camera quote unquote, spends a lot of time on them as though this is, and it's like you're sort of getting thrown in, which I, is what she's doing. Yeah, I don't want to hijack the conversation, but you know who, who does get a name and who is important? Who? Misato Katsuragi. Well, yeah. That's, I mean, your favorite character. Does, yeah, my favorite character. Yeah. So yeah. Well, you want to talk about her? Uh yeah, uh, she so has a great introduction. She does have just like introduction after introduction. Like every kind of moment with her is is a good enough introduction for mm-hmm. her. But yeah, uh, well, I guess her real introduction is the picture that Shin- she's supposed to pick Shinji up. So yeah. Shinji's here. Shinji's separated from his father. This is all stuff that we get in the episode. Um, okay, as this is sort of to set the scene, as I said, it is 2015. There's been some sort of, you know, disaster. Some big monsters coming out. The military seems ready for it. They've been tracking it. We meet Shinji. He's supposed to be picked up by this by this woman, so he's waiting for his contact. He's all he's got is a picture of her. But it sort of looks like a like a pop idol, like pinup picture, like a pinup photo. <laughs> yeah. This is this is the first of what is called for those not in the know fan service yeah which is a thing uh you know we've i think we threw the word otaku out last time that that's pretty common parlance here in the states but that's like japanese very specific for for nerd like a specific type of nerd though that's a little bit more isolated and you know the stuff that everybody sort of is aware of these days of like you know marrying pillows and uh lolly stuff and you know uh those sort of things so which 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 in 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 it has been posited whether you know kind of loosely or even potentially that there is a spectrum equality to the otaku thing and you know i think it it can be used as a dirty word and it can be used as a self-identification and we're not you know we're fast and loose with it sort of like the term nerd here in the states and that it was oh this is an insult i don't want to be a nerd became this you know big source of pride and the stigma's gone and now it's you know a label that people will put on themselves and certainly in america there are lots of you know uh white anime fans that you know would happily call themselves otaku but Mm -hmm. but the idea here is that you know it's catering to this very specific type of person and so you'd have anime that had fan service where you service the fans by giving them a little bit of that tna a little bit of what maybe they're not you know, getting in their real life or, you know, just part of the fantasy. And just, and, and as a heads up for people who don't know, Evangelion is a show that, that does traffic in this. And so there is kind of like, you know, some sort of sexy, intentionally, you know, titillating shots of women. There's not a lot of graphic sex in this show, just as a heads up. I mean, there is sexual kind of fumbly teenagery stuff this isn't but this isn't going to get into your like tentacle porn like kind of this just right, if yeah, you haven't depending seen the show, on what just so you know. or just if you haven't seen a whole lot of anime you might not yeah that's an excellent point to bring up and and yeah i'm not gonna like judging it one way or the other um but a lot of what you'll see that the show eventually does a lot of this is setting up 
you know, traditional anime tropes. So we have the fan service of, you know, sexy girls. We have the fan service of the giant robots and all the, you know, uh, emphasis on the military hardware and all of that. You're getting all that stuff and it's playing with those tropes. And as the show goes, it's going to gradually start to really deconstruct all of those things. So yes. even something as simple as the idea of fan service and the titillation and, you know, we're going to see Shinji is going to start interacting with, you know, people his age and having these sorts of things. And you're getting a lot of the, you know, what on the one hand is servicing of fans and what they expect. And then part of Ono's trick is, you know, halfway through, we really start to question those things and start to feel uncomfortable about those things. And the mm -hmm. very idea of fan service gets sort of, you know, cannibalized and blown out in a, the mirror gets held up to you in, yeah. in some very alarming ways. So all this to say, when you meet Misato, there's a picture of her that has a little message scrawled on the side that says, attention here, please, with an arrow pointing to her cleavage. Yeah. So uh, it's already, you know, a great introduction to Misato as like, this is his, his caretaker. This is mm -hmm. his authority figure. This is the person who's supposed to be the responsible adult, and like that's the first glimpse we get of her, which I think which, is great. Which you think, like, if it was just a normal show, like the idea, like, there's so much going on in this, in, in like a show about a you know 14 year old boy who, you know, <laughs> is sort of suddenly like th you know thrown into this weird situation, and his guide and sort of caretaker is like a a kind of wacky hot. You know, how old do you think she's supposed to be? She's 29. She's 29. Okay, this yeah. is the thing, because I've sort of watched this show, you know, 17, 18. Obviously, I'm closest in age to Shinji, so I'm identifying with Shinji. And then as through the years, I felt myself like creeping old. Because Misato was, you'll see, with these shows, especially when you're a young man watching these shows, ladies can relate. You know, that's just, you know, Twilight and all that. There's a big thing in, in anime where you're sort of like, well, who's who's your who's your babe? Like, who's, who mm -hmm. do you have a crush on? Like, who is the character that sort of speaks specifically to your, you know, desires and part of the, the fantasy of, oh, I want to pilot a giant robot and interact with these people again, which is going to get really perverted and thrown in your face and uh, twisted around. But you sort of have this, this fantasy fulfillment aspect of the show. And Misato is always the character that I was like, Oh, that's the character that sort of speaks to me. And I would watch myself creeping closer and closer to her age. Now I've far surpassed it. And mm -hmm. now I'm closest to being like Gendo. Yeah. So, so be like going from now I'm, now I'm a father and all these things. So like, okay, I'm Shinji. Okay, wait, no, I'm Misato. Okay, wait, no. Now, yeah, you now are I Gendo think now. I'm Gendo. Yeah, yeah. So. Which is the other character that we get introduced to. And it's, yeah, so just that dynamic right there would be enough for a show that it's like, oh, this kid uh, that's kind of awkward, you know, teenage boy with his distant father who surprised, like in a Harry Pottery kind of way. What if you found out your dad was the head of a secret paramilitary operation mm -hmm. that's based in an underground, high tech underground base under the city that's fighting, defending the the planet from monsters? Like that's that's a very Harry Potter beginning, and then just the comedy of him being paired with this woman that you, you know, like that's there's a there, like, but what it's it, funny and it's cool, but it's also there's this massive amount of mythology that you're not picking. There's so much going on in this. And I just think just as a pilot, it is, it is quite impressive. But before we leave Masato behind, okay, yeah, yeah, go, go I, back. I just want to talk about the importance of sort of the duality of that. And that we're going to see this in Shinji as well. And really all the characters and, you know, to some people it's going to, it's very broad and we're going to see, you know, Masato has a lot of broad scenes. She's got one a little bit a little later in this episode, but Sometimes you'll see her at her job and she'll like turn on a dime and become like really deadly serious and really composed. And it's not inconsistent writing. It's a character that's multifaceted and that we have this like, you know, yes, in her daily life, she can she can have this silly picture with this flirty message. She can be, you know, a hot mess, quote unquote, like pulling up in her beat up car and worrying about, you know, how she just had it fixed and um now it's been messed up because of this angel attack. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to see her at her home life uh, in future episodes. And it's very at odds with how she presents herself at work. We can even see her having this inner monologue. There's this other really broad comedy scene that I'm talking about when you have this sort of voiceover in her head as she's driving Shinji to where they're supposed to meet. And she's stressing out about things. And she's got this like really silly inner monologue with this like jazz music playing. And then Shinji will get her attention. She'll be like, hmm? And she like kind of drops all that and acts like, oh, I'm cool with him, but inside she's stressing yeah. out. And we're going to continue to see sort of like at home 
her house is a mess and she behaves a certain way. And at work, she is very composed and presents herself in this very different way. And I think all the characters have these interior and exterior lives. And in fact, that's going to become yeah, a kind of an important plot point with her relationship with Shinji and some of the other well, characters. Well, that's, that's idea. Yeah, and for as much as like we're going to talk a lot about anime tropes and, and how things are getting played towards and also played against and deconstructed, that this this show, you know, the, the bouncy, goofy you know girl is an anime character to some but but it's it, this show i don't i think for the most part there's there's very few main characters that are allowed to be one-dimensional if any right. honestly yeah, it's a, you, it's you a can well be that written and you show can be this you can be you know that kind of misato and you can also be that other kind of misato like you know that that you don't have to be one thing yeah because even even shinji's presented as a fairly like you know he's like a the a, a you know, a bright kind of sweet kid. And then we see his <laughs> crippling, you know, anxiety and stuff come, you know, which is going to be a, a pretty continual uh, thing. Well, that's what I like about it. Yeah. I mean, this, so we're sort of brushing through the episode and I, we don't need to go like shot by shot, but you know, the angel attacks, Misato picks him up. They go down to nerve and you've sort of already hit upon the idea of like, okay, he's introduced to his father who he's estranged from, mm-hmm. hasn't seen him in a while. He sort of gives him this Harry Potter call to action of like surprise yeah your dad is the head of the secret organization she hands him a pamphlet where almost everything is redacted or he, he's got sent a letter where everything is redacted so she gives him the the guidebook we see them go down into this into this geo front which we can talk about in a second but basically dad says okay get into this giant robot pilot this for me to fight this giant monster this is the Harry Potter thing, and unlike Harry Potter, who's like, oh, fuck, yeah, I'm going to go be a wizard. See you later, Dursleys. Shinji's like, nope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Which just makes him very relatable. Um, yeah. You know, I my childhood was marked by my fear and rejection of activities on varying levels, whether it was playing volleyball and vacation with my family well, not or just activity, anything just but you know. responsibility <laughs> yeah. like like i know and and this is what this is the result of the meme i'm sure people who haven't even seen the show you know we we were watching this in a meme free world and there was still the sort of the the general idea that like oh fucking shinji man like what a loser what a wussy and that you know the the meme being shinji getting the fucking robot mm-hmm. um but i wouldn't get in the fucking robot like it's somebody's like hey go put your life get in this thing that you've never seen before didn't know it existed don't know how to pilot this don't know what to do get in here and do this it's like what the fuck are you talking about like i think it's a very human response and i think that's immediately what sets this show apart from all the other shows that it's sort of standing on the shoulders of or or commenting on or being a you know an evolution of is that it has a character who just realistically emotion responds in this emotional way that I feel is very believable. It's like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. He he definitely, you know, and I think, uh, uh, young, uh, Jungian archetypes and stuff are, I think Anna's aware of that stuff. And it's, so it's a funny reference to say that he just continually rejects the, the, yeah, the call to adventure or whatever, like the, like, sure. And and it's spoiler alert. This is not the first time he's going to have a hard time deciding to do something, you know, and get in, in, but yeah, it's like, you know, in a normal show like this, the character heroically snaps to and, and jumps into, you know, that's the kind of, you know, that's what this, this is the montage of like, you know, you're a guy riding the thing. And then like, you get that, like, woo, like he's having a great time piloting this thing. And and the only reason Shinji does it is because if he doesn't do it, they're gonna make Ray do it, who is their other big character introduction, who is wheel her out yeah, on a fucking point, stretcher. Just a, yeah, just a girl, girl that coughs and shivers and bandages on a stretcher. And it's he's basically you know forced to like, okay, we're gonna make her do it if you don't do it. Um, so that is so you get a noble moment of him you know deciding that he's going to overcome his or is it nobility or just like uh, uh, guilt like, yeah Shinji, nah. which because is a thing with the whole show of like well, why why do people do what they do why would somebody be heroic why mm-hmm. you know re- responsibility and all that stuff but it, it becomes the big question becomes why do you pilot the evangelion yeah. why what makes you do that which you know could apply to a lot of things and i think for Anno applied to why why are you making this show as 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 the show progresses we'll see him and the work reflect his the stress of having to deliver something to somebody and i think i i mean you know there's this moment here that i think the show is at least the first half sort of built around is when shinji sort of goes into this mantra of mm-hmm. I, I mustn't run away mm-hmm. that he repeats uh to himself to, like 
you know, I wanted to drop out of college. I was... No, I remember that. You know, I had some friends who, who had or were planning on not going, and I was frustrated, didn't know what I really wanted to do with my life, and I was, you know, in a relationship with somebody who lived farther away from the school, and I was just like, what, what am I doing? Why, why am I continuing to do this? And it legit was, here I am, like, you know, 20-something-year-old person in the midst of going to school, and it was this show, and it was that moment and that mantra that was like, no, I can't fucking run away. Mm-hmm. Like, I have to do this. So, you know, we're talking about cartoon boobs and stuff and, like, how that's, you know, a draw for some people in this show and, you know, attention here, please. And your attention is there sometimes, and mine was, but then also, you know, it legit did help me out of a, an emotional bind. Uh, well, what's what's funny is as you were, before you even got to the serious portion of this episode just now, I was thinking like, oh, like Shinji's relationship with the, the, the EVA unit zero one in this episode is not terribly dissimilar from my relationship to driving a car at this point in my life oh sure and i was like i was thinking i was like yeah man if if shinji can do you know like i should i should just for the <laughs> i have occasional crippling anxiety and i can't drive a car on a, uh, over 50 miles an hour and certainly not on a freeway and so i was watching this and like you know i didn't used to relate in that way and now watching I'm like god yeah I can definitely feel that. So, you know, the show is, uh, it, it's more, you know, like you said, it, it covers some emotional ground. This is just episode one. Like, we're going to get right. into a lot more of it. But but I, th- I think for a certain type of person to see a hero like Shinji, which you you might not even like and impart, you know, Shinji doesn't, you know, we're going to see this is how he feels about himself is very complicated. And I just, you know, that it's refreshing to have a hero who isn't, I can relate more to a hero that doesn't want to feels that they can't do something as opposed to somebody who is the, you know, the, the, the cocky brash guy who's like, let me show you. We'll get to those characters mm-hmm. and those characters are going to be very fun in this show. And those characters are going to also have a lot going on emotionally in a very textured way. But just from right off the bat, I think seeing a hero reject the call to adventure in such an extreme way to almost have this breakdown <laughs> immediately yeah. is to me, I think whether you like him or not, that, that makes him a very powerful character. It's a couple other, um, a couple other things that is worth noting. Uh, I, was, I was making some notes while we were watching that just of things I just want to point out. Um, with it, this, the, the physicality of everything in this, in the, the yes. way things are animated. I mean, there's, there's the, the, when I say physicality, I mean just like the movements of things. Like there's a bunch of stuff with, with Masato's car, and like them rolling the the car getting blown off the road, mm-hmm. them rolling the car over the physicality of of the way you see the angel when it catches the missile thing in its arm, and it like oh. it's like there's he's he's really and this is I think like what some of Anno's initial skill comes from, like when he was doing if I understand it correctly his abilities at doing this type of very detailed animation is what got him working with Miyazaki and, and mm-hmm. the, the 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 sort of breakneck pace that some of these things have to go in production wise that Anna's really good at doing this stuff and he's really fast and but it's like you can see the application of that and I think that some of that he's also influenced by Miyazaki and I think Miyazaki's big in my opinion one of his big uh, uh, developments in the form of anime is realistic movement of characters and the way that like things just because it's animated or these things are sometimes like magical creatures and stuff doesn't mean they don't need to have a real grounded sense of physicality. Right. And I think yes. that Ano really captures some of that here too. One and of it's my like... favorite Totoro things, just as we're talking about Miyazaki, is when when in Totoro and the girls go into the house and their they, their shoes are on, so they have to walk on their knees around the house because they don't want to step on the floor. And it's just like such a specific detail and the movement is so real mm-hmm. that it's yeah taking that sort of attention and applying it to these fantastical things because i just know i respond to with with everything whether that's regular you know traditional filmmaking i bring it up oftentimes when i'm talking about like a score but i like very deliberate choices mm-hmm. not something that's accidental or like half thought out or i just want something bold and very deliberate and just when the introduction of the angel where you have the bird sitting on the end of the tank and you see the water geyser from way far away you see the water explode and the bird flies away you're not there watching the monster pop up. You're seeing it from a distance and it gives it this real weight and scale. Yeah. And you get a ton of that when they're down going into the nerve uh, place. There's also another moment that I really noticed that I liked was when they dropped the N2 mine. So they're fighting Mm -hmm. the angel. It's getting closer to the city 
I think they've established that they're called angels, by the way, right? Yeah. I think the guys so. behind the I mean, desk are like, oh, it's the yeah. angel. Yeah, I think yeah, they yeah, might yeah. even call yeah. it the third angel. I think they Which do. was something I was trying to hold off on because I was like, is that a spoiler? But yeah, I think they do refer to it as the third angel. But you see all the planes, like from very far away, looking through binoculars, you see little dots, like all fly away. And just the, the, what that tells you of like, oh shit, they're bugging out. Like, we're going to drop the mine, and you see these little black dots, like, vroom zoom out of there and you know that those are the planes or the, the helicopter things mm-hmm, getting mm-hmm. the fuck out of Dodge because they're going to drop this bomb just sets you up and it gives you the sense of space and scale and that's like the kind of deliberate choice that not a lot of things do. Yeah and I think I mean and what we'll see as we get into further episodes is like I mean I mean back when I mean, we've been watching this together for so long that we have all these sorts of in jokes and stuff but like you know we've definitely done like impersonations of the different like the gate specifically this angel in particular um you, you I've seen you do an impersonation of it and it's like every single I mean they're all they get increasingly strange spoiler alert or whatever I'm not going to talk about it but like the movements are specific the way things move each one kind of has its yeah. own thing and they're not it's not gimmicky it's not the kind of like comic book thing where it's like just to just solely for the purposes of distinguishing them from the others it feels like every physical thing every object or every creature in this has a personality in that and the sound as well like things make I want to talk about the sound but I don't want before you get to sound yeah. I want to talk, I just want to continue to harp on movement and and I think this is something to me that is uniquely Japanese in that the idea that movement can be unnerving and scary and maybe this goes back to stuff like you know Bunraku like puppet theater and and how Japanese theater goes but like if you just look at the horror movies like something like The Ring or The Grudge it's the way and you know The the Grudge obviously has sound too but the woman climbing down the stairs in The Grudge it's just a woman with you know a wig on but the way that she's moving is so unnerving that this becomes more upsetting than any special effect or we were talking earlier today we were talking about Pulse and the scene in Pulse where the woman is just sort of walking slowly toward him when he's like God, hiding I, behind that desk. The way she dips to the side and that there's just so, yeah, and it's so like the you attention see to, it. Yeah. Even even you know games like I remember playing Final Fantasy VII and there's some like puppet monster thing and it's you know in Final Fantasy games where there's like sort of just like, like looping animation of something just kind of standing there, but there will be movements just you know the uncanny valley or the slightly unnerving thing and that's something that all the these these monster characters of the angels and even the Evangelions themselves, the specificity, you're right, of their movement. And this is carried over into Shin Godzilla, which Anno does. So I think it's a particular strength of his, but that's something, yes, the, it moves in just this way and it's very specific to it and it can be very just terrifying. And, and just as a quick reference, if somehow, and I think it's possible that some of you are this way, if you've seen Shin Godzilla already and you've and this is the first time watching Evangelion, I think that you will be very aware of the similarities and go like, oh, well, it makes so much sense that this guy did Shin Godzilla because the, the first 10 minutes of this are just like a sequence from that down yeah. to the comedic timing of like the people in the offices being flummoxed by things, right. pounding <laughs> fists with like ashtrays nearby. That shot of the guy snapping the pencil in that first like profile yeah. shot of the three guys. Kevin and I have talked about that shot so many times. It's just like these little physical beats, which goes to the movement thing and stuff. But I would sound when I talk about sound because sound. I get, I, I, I'm not a nostalgic person in a lot of ways, but the sound of the cicadas in the exterior shots in this show bring me back in the sound of the trains as well. And I've, and, and, you know, since this is already the nerdiest thing either of us have ever done publicly, I don't mind just painting myself into a corner here and saying that, yeah, like we like Japan a lot. Uh, I've been to Japan three times. Uh, I want to go back more as often as I can. And, but when I'm there half the time, I will be reminded of things like real things in walking around Tokyo will remind me of the sounds in this show. Totally. And that is my main reference point. And when I hear the trains or the cicadas or things like that, that's, and so when I hear on this, I'm just rocketed back into nostalgia. And the cicadas I've heard in, in other yes. shows, you know, that is, this is Japanese cicadas is not, that's not original to this show or exclusive to this particular show, but he uses it very well. Again, with the trains, I think even more so the trains become a, a, a device uh, and, a, and a cue uh, towards a certain type of storytelling or a certain type of moment. They really, you'll see that the train sound is used to sort of underscore that. Um, but just in addition, for me, I was noticing the, the sounds that are, to me, there is no one franchise, uh, you know, film, television show, whatever. There's no other like fictional universe that has sound 
as distinct and impactful for me personally as strong in my opinion as Evangelion except for Star Wars. I think this is on mm-hmm. par with you know in terms of the the soundscape of Star Wars and the specificity of these things and the way things sound that's such a particular thing to the Star Wars world and such a huge part of what makes it Star Wars. Yeah. To me the sound of what we get here for the first time of an angel firing a plasma blast that's sort of like mm-hmm. and that's, uh and I love that they're shaped like crosses mm-hmm. but we see this the angel firing these things and that that sound just chills me and there's going to be episodes later on where we just start to use the, as as the as the tone of the show starts to change and evolve but the 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 soundscape that's established here in these lighter episodes those sounds start to really do something uh and they're really given space and honor really gives space to to sound as much as to movement and lets them kind of do their thing so yeah i just was really noticing just the the, the sound of the angel firing being like oh shit yeah we're back i'm in i'm in this space again yeah and it's it's yeah it's it's throughout the thing i think and we'll comment on it more as we go but the, yeah it, it just it does feel deliberate the animation feels deliberate the framing of everything like we said that sort of the variety of shots like you kind of especially like american animation is like you know you, you get these sort of static shots and even a lot of anime like i was just sort of marveling at the variety of angles for things like, you know, that we went from the shot that I was talking about really far away of the, you know, the angel and the, they're going to drop the bomb on it. I think to Misato, you know, and it's a fan service thing because it's kind of a butt shot, but she like gets on top of him and we're sort of behind them inside the car. Mm-hmm. And the variety of camera angles is uh, the sheer amount of them is kind of like mm-hmm. this is another thing that makes this special and stand and out. We've, and we've talked before about how like to some degree the some of the choices are dictated on saving saving time <laughs> right. in animation which is like but it but it becomes a stylistic thing you know framing framing people where you don't see full facial movement when they're having dialogue yeah that saves money on drawing you know eye movements and mouth movements which is a, just a like characteristic that. of anime of like you know you'll have a lot of times the mouth is the only thing that is animated yeah um but a different he, style he's applying it here animation. in a different stylistic way that I think again creates like a, a, a the way he's holding on a shot for longer. He's like the rhythms, of the edits, and there's a lot of fast cuts in there too. Like it's it's there's you're seeing it. It's interesting now to look at it and, and recognize that the style is present here from the very beginning, and it's only going to get and how to make a restriction a, yeah. a choice. Um, yeah, I think it's the, the shot you're sort of referring to here at least the one that i noticed most is when they're going up this escalator and you have the purple background and it's shinji reading his his mm-hmm. uh, thing that misato handed him and you've got dr ritsuko akagi is the other new character that we're sort of introduced to and misato they're having a conversation and in the background there's no animation it's just a still shot of their silhouettes moving up and in the in the background is moving also still so mm-hmm. there's no like animation frames going on is just one still shot moving over another still shot but then behind him you can see they're, they're going up where you can see the hand of the evangelion in the liquid yeah. behind him so we're he's even being economical with the movement we're still getting information crammed into that shot from the exposition that they're talking about but then also visually you see the size of the hand in comparison to him and it also kind of plays as a joke in that oh is shinji just so busy reading this fucking yeah. like guidebook that he's not seeing the giant robot hand behind him well that's yeah it's like as a pilot it is it's like this episode especially is, is is it is like a sort of hint of that effective as a comedy show but also effective as a hard sci-fi crazy giant robot show like it's like mm-hmm. a lot of those things i mean there's you know we giggle partly because we know what we're watching and so we're not you know the first time you see it it may not read as as funny to you because you'll be uh, uh, just trying to pull plot information out and just understand where the fuck you are. But like, right. there's a lot of good framing jokes. There's like the, when the three guys give up on the three military guys, like you know, sort of say that they, didn't <laughs> they work. each get their each, own moment. Yeah, one like exiting frame kind of thing, and it's like it's like it's funny. It's really good comedy timing. You know, there's comedy. It's it's just like yeah, pauses before something happens or doesn't happen, and like yeah, it's it's funny. Oh yeah, I mean, and and sometimes it's like both. Like, is it? I can't remember the line right before it, but it's, it's Misato says something like, you know, can we really pull this off or something? And it cuts to, we've seen Gendo with his 
his pose that you're going to become very familiar with of his his clasped hands and his his nose resting on the top of his fingers so his mouth is hidden and you get the shot from underneath his hands to see his mouth and just like the tiniest like hint of a smile as his lip curls mm-hmm. up from the pov of like underneath his chin mm-hmm. uh and like the and the the that cuts off but like right as the smile is formed this very again deliberate choices of when to cut out and when to cut in on things and it it's uh, not necessarily a joke but i you know i laugh because of the perfection of the execution of like oh gendo smiled and nobody I, saw you it. know i'd be curious to know when you talk about it that way i would, I would love to and i feel like one of the things that's going to happen as soon as this show drops i think we're gonna we've already been seeing it on twitter when the news went up but i think we're gonna see more um kind of celebrity people talk about this whether it's because they've already been fans or or, or they're watching it for the first time we're gonna see people tweeting about well you know it, who's so. all i you know who's already seen it we know robin williams is a fan of evangelion yeah and that the uh evangelion uh that uh, mass production model which yeah uh, yeah the, yeah the maybe kid a bit of a spoiler one the white photo. thing one hour photo um yeah that was from robin williams personal collection is the yeah. story that i was told uh, we know Wes Anderson as yeah, a fan of Evangelion, and I've read interviews where he said that that was just you know like a world that just consumed you and was something. I know I know Adam Wingard has seen Evangelion, yeah, yeah. and responded well to it, which which makes which by the way both happy both... that he's directing a Godzilla movie. Oh hell yeah! But I mean both and both uh, Wingard and Wes Anderson in different ways are are sharp with their use of editing and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. the there are way like and so like I I do think that. You know, again, I'm not saying this influenced them because this is, it's, but but it's like when I'm looking at kind of like, oh, it makes sense to me that certain people like this. And the person I was about to get to that I, I actually don't know if Edgar Wright's ever seen it. Hmm. But when you're talking about the edit choices there and like oh, it, sure. it kind of like I wouldn't if 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 this all comes out and Edgar Wright's like, you know, I've been watching this since I was blah, blah, blah. It would not surprise me because the choices he's more so than a lot of directors in his area is so good at using editing for both comedic effect and stylistic right. effect. And that reminds me of this here. This like, is fastidious direction. Yeah, for sure. And Wes Anderson would <laughs> certainly, you could call qualify a fastidious, as fastidious, yeah. fastidious director. And so, and so, and since, and so would I think, you know, Wingard and Edgar Wright all in completely different ways, mm-hmm. you know, overlapping in certain places. But I think it's like, so yeah, the fact that those two guys like it doesn't surprise me whether or not uh, Edgar Wright does. I don't know. I mean, I kind of would assume he does, but who knows? He you will know? once it's on Netflix. Yeah, exactly. Like if not, he's going to be like holy shit this is how have i never seen this is probably you're you're going to see yeah you're going to see a bunch of tweets from different people being like you know like pat and oswald's going to be like finally everyone's seeing i'm so happy or whatever and then you're going to get somebody who's like oh my god how have i never seen this and those are going to be the two big tweets it's like yay everyone can see this or how have i embrace i'm bracing myself for a lot of the it's no big deal there's there's already you know there's certainly in the anime community there's a lot of you know uh yeah i mean it's fine or like well, it doesn't uh, make well, any sense yeah the, or, gu- the gundam guys you know, you know yeah <laughs> listen, I, love it. I, think, I really i really hope i get ran off twitter by a bunch of gundam listen fans. i mean i think <laughs> even one of our friends when we first showed it to him they had seen cowboy bebop first and they're like oh the animation's better in cowboy bebop and look cowboy bebop is great um yeah it is and that's a totally cowboy different bebop. style and i go- would and do good a podcast about way. cowboy bebop but i will say i'm not i'm doing this one first and yeah. that says something you know uh but yes, much much love to all to you know Gundam and and all the anime. Trigun, whatever, <laughs> whatever does your thing. I actually need to see Trigun because a lot of I've people never tell seen, me it's I've, I've watched any of it. I'm... Um, <laughs> we'll see. I watch a lot. I watch a lot of anime. Um, but so I guess sort of, I, I guess before we get back to any sort of plot stuff, I want to talk about the design of the Evangelion. Oh themselves. yeah, sure, go for it. So this just that they were. I want to shout out to the designer as this guy uh, Ikuto Yamashita who is the mech designer for this show. and it's, Great work. It's just, yeah. It, they don't look like, and we haven't really seen them in action yet. We've only seen the top half of Ava Unit 1, and we've seen the hand In like move. the feet and stuff when it's getting launched out of the thing. At oh, the we do get the a launch little, little sequence. Bit, but it yeah. hasn't moved that Which much I was yet. sort of comparing to, like in, in a lot of other shows, we would see this exact same animation like 30 times. Like a big uh, influence on Anno and on this show in a lot of ways is the Ultraman series of mm-hmm. live action tokusatsu special effects shows from Japan, which will have like the, we're launching the, the miniatures and it would oh, be, yeah. and it's just you know, reused footage. Yeah. You they, just use yeah. that footage yeah. every single time. <laughs> or like the, for the magical girl shows, it's the transformation sequence of like, mm-hmm. okay, she waves the wand, spins we around, spin and, around yeah, we yeah. spend a 
fuck ton of money on this animation and like look how many frames and how the yeah, camera's yeah. moving along with the thing and we're going to show that to you again and again the power rangers morphing whatever mm-hmm. and i think we might get some amount of reused animation not a i ton. think in that stuff in particular i think eventually there i think there are reused shots right because that's you know, that's that's the thing you sort of get into the rhythm of that but but that's that's that moment but um just talking about the design of the the avas themselves that they're not really boxy or or heavy there is a lot of weight to the movements of things here but just the design to have them be so like sleek and sort of thinner and less about these sort of really big um and heavy like knight and shining armor type movies yeah that this is more like a lot of people compare them to like oni like a japanese demons like with the big horn oh, on the front interesting. Yeah. yeah that they sort of are meant to look like like that uh, and like that type of lighter armor and, and the, the lithe way they move and, and how, how thin they are. And we're going to see already, like, I, I was a kid growing up, I was a big fan of like monster stuff. And so robots, I didn't really care about robots all that much. And even getting into like high school and stuff, like I always was a genre fan. The idea of robots, not that exciting to me. I think we sort of already see in this episode that there's a little bit more to this than just a robot when it moves on its own to protect Shinji and he looks at it and you can see the light in its eye. Just in design, but then also in plot, we sort of already know okay, there's something a little bit more exciting mm-hmm. than just, this is a piece of machinery. This is a piece of military hardware that you get in and pilot like a tank, like a plane, like a boat. Yeah. It's like, no, this is a thing that has a little bit more... Which is the button on the end of the episode. That is like, that's like what you're leading out with is that for all the disorientation that you've had getting into here, the, all the Harry Potterist Potterisms of the, oh my God, my dad's a thing is that they kind of, you know, again, they're sort of glossing past these things really quickly. Some of it, you're never going to fully get answers to some of this stuff, but like all this, you know, the comedy and all this stuff leads us into the moment at the, you know, it's the last scene of the pilot episode here where the question is thrown or the command rather is thrown to our main character our our, you know Mm -hmm. theoretical audience surrogate shinji is told you need to pilot this giant robot thing and he says no and uh they say all right fine well i guess fuck it you're not gonna you know like you're you know his dad basically is like you know whatever you're a loser and like uh and (laughs) it's like it's like why did you call me here you know why (laughs) yeah he says yeah he's like you know because no one yeah there's no one else that can do it that's why i called you whatever so like you know we get this whole thing he rejects the call they bring ray out he feels guilt or a sense of nobility in protecting her or whatever but this sort of the 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 moment here that is key is that uh Meanwhile, outside, the angel is attacking, you know, like shooting missiles or blasts or whatever things that are... The great cross-cutting, too, is like having yeah. this sort of heated discussion, and then you can, like, in these heightened moments, you cut to that, that sound I was talking about earlier, and it's like, oh, yeah, this thing is still out here. It is firing... Yeah, so the pressure's there. Like, he's... They're saying, you know, it's we're all gonna die if you don't do this, and blah, blah, blah. And there's a moment where, like, a blast hits the thing, and some, like, um of those, like, uh, ballast, like, fluorescent light things fall right. from the ceiling, and they're going to fall on Shinji, and then Ava Unit 1, like, rips its arm out of its restraints and shields it over him. And, like, they make it clear that, like... There wasn't even an entry plug in Yeah, so we basically, like, like we're introduced to a giant robot as part of our, you know, concept of the show, that this mm-hmm. kid piloting a giant robot... But that the robot moves on its own when it's clearly been powered down. Like we see the light, the lights right. in its eyes go. Like they turn it off to recalibrate it or whatever for Ray. So at this point, we don't really know anything other than, you know, there's this big thing. One person can do it, but then maybe this other person can do it instead. And then it does. It moves on its own, and they all and they all say this has never happened before or whatever. They all mm-hmm. act very surprised about this, and that implies that in a very Harry Potter kind of way, that Shinji is special. Something right. about this is special. Did it just move to protect him? And that's really like the... And then he says, okay, yeah, I'll do it. And then they suit up and they shoot him out in the thing. And so like... But the as far as like thinking of it like you were pitching this to somebody for the first time or something, mm-hmm. like the idea that the giant robot that, you know, yes, you may be the special one that can possibly pilot this. Maybe you are the chosen one, you know, Luke Skywalker style. Right. But that the surprising thing to this, it's like, you know, like, yeah, like if the Millennium Falcon, like, you know, flew at him or whatever it's like you know it, it there's a thing to that like right there's something Which more is, going on than just a and robot. that's the exciting thing for yeah. me is that there's there's a connection that goes beyond just piloting something which just gives it that extra beyond 
science fiction into the realm maybe of science fantasy, I guess yeah. you could say. Like, and you know, we'll we'll talk about all this stuff more. But just yeah, sort of clarify what I was saying before about the timeline. It just yeah, it, it, it's a little strange of the you know maybe I've just been through the Hollywood system too much. But the question of why now of like that Shinji's <laughs> brought here like right when the first angel attacks or the third angel, and that they sort of we get the idea that they built this specifically to fight the angels, but this is the third one, and you know it has been 15 years since anyone has actually seen one, and so like well shouldn't you have gotten him here and been training him here for this before? But I guess there's sort of answers to some of these yeah. things as we go. Um, I can't but, remember, but yeah. But it is it is exhilarating to sort of have it all just happen at once and to not waste time, as you said, with Shinji beforehand and establishing all this stuff. We sort of get him coming, and he this way Shinji gets to be the audience surrogate in a lot of ways of, okay, here's what's going on, and go and do this thing, and you're welcome mm-hmm. to the world. Get out there and go. Um, Although, but you know, I mean, if Netflix or Amazon or anybody wants to make a live-action Evangelion series and they want to hire us to create it, we can totally stretch out the pilot episode. It doesn't have to jump <laughs> we'll right see. into it. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good idea or not to do either, a live-action. We're just talking around it so much, I had to at least make the joke. Oh, sure. Yeah, I'd be I mean, it has been in development in the past. That's the other thing. It's like the, it, This is something they've tried to make here. Pacific Rim, famously, I think, is the closest mm-hmm. you get to. Oh, there to, was definitely you know, leaked, and we can talk. We can spend a whole episode talking about this kind of stuff, but there's yeah. yeah leaked designs that, from so Weta, Weta yeah. workshop did of uh you know Ava pilot suits and Evangelions and angels and yeah, all kinds of design stuff. stuff and everything so um, I don't I mean yeah for the record I I you know if you can reanimate the corpse of Stanley Kubrick and have him do it or if you can <laughs> or if, if somebody can you know hire if, if if Gaspar Noe will work with a writer or something I think there's people that have the vision to do something like this but i don't know i think the the money the amount of money that it takes to to create the the body of the thing would necessitate that it not have the soul and i think when it comes to evangelion it's the soul of the thing that's most important i love all this other stuff i love the design i love even you know down to you're talking about the movement of the monsters but it's it's the it's the ultimately the strangeness the sort of darkness uh, the rawness of a lot of the places that it goes is what makes it the trip worthwhile. Um, as, and, and, and I think that's something that could never survive a translation. No, the specificity of all the stuff we've been talking about is is in this animation. I don't know that it would translate to live action or not. Right. But, you know, it does, maybe it doesn't have to. Now that it's going to be available to but. people, maybe people will just hopefully, I mean, hopefully it just blows the fuck up on Netflix and everyone just loves it. And, you know, then we... We'll see. I mean, anything that becomes, you know, a cultural touchstone, there's going to be, you know, backlash against it. And so it's kind of been fun to have it sort of occupy this very personal space of like, you know, yeah, if you know it, you like it. And then if it gets into this big position where a lot of people are watching it, I mean, and honestly, I think a lot of people who aren't going to like it are just going to turn off after one episode. Just the animation is is dated now by Mm -hmm. today's standards. I still love it. But, you know, the designs and the way, you know, it's... This this is hand drawn stuff, and even mm-hmm. e- all almost every anime today is at least assisted by just because it's cheaper is assisted by computer stuff. You know, yeah. Just, um, so this just looks and feels a little different, and I think like if you're really not, I think a lot of people will be turned off before they have the chance to. But I'm just saying, um, you know, with popularity becomes comes frustrating criticism and it's enjoyed this privileged space until now yeah so we had it for this long now it's it's everybody's and uh and maybe nobody will give a shit i mean who knows (laughs) it seemed like twitter blew up when the announcement came out but but that's also our own personal bubble but you know we'll see just a couple other things to talk about in terms of just like design and uh the the mechanics of things is the is the idea of the geo front which even you and i were asking each other about as we watched this it'll become clearer in other episodes and it's hard to explain totally verbally but the idea is that nerve headquarters where they where they travel to where misato takes shinji is um there's a hollowed out geofront so a sphere if you can Mm -hmm. imagine a sphere just a little ways beneath the surface of the earth so there's this big spherical hole like a cave Mm -hmm. and the city tokyo 3 is built on top of that and we'll see more about the mechanics of how that works in the next episode but so the roof of the geofront, you can see the bottom of the city. And the, the nerve headquarters is this little pyramid that exists 
on the bottom yeah. of that. So in this episode, when it's all like beautiful magic hour sunlight and they're driving down and they're playing this, you know, triumphant music and Shinji's looking out, they're inside this geo front and there's artificial light or a way that the light is refracted into, but they're like sort of in a big hollowed out cave and the pyramid on the bottom mm-hmm. is where the nerve headquarters is located. So it's a little bit of a confusing geography. Um, but it'll probably make more and more sense. Well, especially because they don't really explain it that no. well. <laughs> like like no. many things in this episode. Yeah. And then uh, I just want to talk about the LCL for a second. Oh, sure. Which is an Which is a cool idea that I don't think I've seen. Has it been in? I mean, is, is, have other things used? There's something similar in the Abyss. And, the, and ah, there's a yeah. moment in the Abyss and Ed Harris is going to go like very, very deep in the ocean to where there's going to be so much pressure that they need to they sort of give him this amniotic fluid, basically. Like what you what you breathe when you're in the womb. Um which is which is probably would influence this because I do think my personal opinion uh, is that James James Cameron's '80s movies were uh, I think they were a big influence on a lot of anime. Yeah, and then I think you know vice versa too. I think yeah. James Cameron gave a lot to anime, and anime gives a lot to James Cameron, and they kind of feed off each other. Yeah, because sure. I think I think that you know I think Aliens probably you know I mean the, the I don't you no know doubt. Again, you know yeah. I don't know which side of the influence was causing the decisions about like the tech stuff there and like the you know i mean he's in a mecca you know the power yeah. loader is is a tiny yeah. tiny mecca um but yeah so the idea that again this is another interesting thing about these robots is you're not sitting in a cockpit like you're in a jet fighter you're sitting in this tube that fills up with amniotic fluid that you can breathe and that helps you connect to what the, the robot body is sort of feeling and doing uh, and also protects you from like shocks when you're like j- jostled around, but then also just on a metaphorical level, this idea of retreating to the womb mm-hmm. and, you know, Shinji's, you know, reluctance to maybe do that, but ultimately, okay, things are getting hard. Things are getting scary. This person's going to be here. Okay. I better go back there. I'm going back into this place and we'll continue to see, you know, as the Freudian stuff gets more and more mm-hmm. um, omnipresent in the show that the idea of the cockpit is the womb is a, is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. That's worth tracking at this point. Cause yeah, all these things will start to pay off, but yeah, that's, so that's kind of, yeah, it's, I mean, it's been just about an hour. So that's, yeah, maybe we, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, we'll we're still figuring out the format. Um, you know, but I think this felt about natural pacing. So maybe this is our episode length standard something like that there's gonna be a lot to dig in there's gonna gonna be a lot so much more to dig into we can bring you know and we can we also you know fuck formats we can do whatever we want we can have multiple episodes about an episode we can go long i'd like to stick to an hour i I think yeah the audience i think it's fair to people yeah but this is good so this is episode zero one so next time watch the next episode which what's the name of the next episode oh god is it unfamiliar ceiling one of my one of my favorite titles maybe yeah, looks like oh, it's the beast. Episode two is the beast. Every episode has the eye catcher, the the moment in in old school anime that was the commercial break. Mm-hmm. They have like a little thing pop up. They'll have like different titles. Yeah, uh, they'll each sort of have like two names to them. But uh, the one listed on my the back of the DVD box here is the beast. Episode zero two. So that's what we'll do for episode zero two. Yeah. So we'll see you guys then. Thanks for listening. <laughs>